0: So uh, Pastor Todd, he he shared both nights a number of stories, a number of photos, a number of videos uh, of just um, more than the 20,000 people that they've baptized at Christ Fellowship Church and and other places as well, not just at that church. It's clear that the the move of God is not contained to any church. Um, It's not contained to, to, to Todd Smith or King's Church or any event that we do. Um, God's moving in response to faith, and I want to talk about that in a minute. Um, he just he shared a story after story of people that came and were freed of of physical afflictions. He told a story of, of a lady with with stage four breast cancer. He showed the PET scan; you could see the the, um, the metastasized cancer from almost from her neck all the way down, every part of her torso was just filled with dozens and dozens and dozens of lesions, cancerous lesions on her body. And she had been just, doctors say, we, we can only do what we can do. You have a month, two months, three months left. she, she comes and receives baptism and just believing in faith. And sure enough, the next day the doctor calls her up and says, well, she had a PET scan scheduled for the next day. She goes in, does the PET scan. You know, two days later, they call her, and they tell her that something was wrong with the machine. Can you come back and get another PET scan? She goes back, gets another PET scan, goes home. The doctor calls her up. He says, you you do have cancer, right? He's like, I need you to come in and look at this with us. He shows the next PET scan, and there's absolutely nothing on that scan. And we've heard dozens of stories like that. Over the last seventy-two hours, I love the story. I, I, I'm not going to tell it all, but it's, he shows the pictures and part of the video of a. I don't even remember the guy's name in Texas. It was this tiny little what's his it? Well, what was his name before that? Uh, let's call him. Let's call him. Let's call him Roy. That's a good big. That's a good good old boy name. This is this is in Sulphur Springs, Texas. I think we lived not too far from there when we were on the Gulf Coast. Small church, not very big at all. Called Country Church. Pastor Todd goes down there with his team, and they have a Thursday-Friday thing. And it turns out that one of the people at the church is the is the, is the county county warden for their county jail. <laughs> the county, The county the warden goes back and basically says to the prisoners, "If you want free pizza, come to this revival revival event." So on Friday, there's a bunch of convicted felons there. For baptism. Half of them are there for the free pizza, and half of them are there. Yeah, let's, let's see what's going on. Get baptized. And Roy's there. Roy's got to be a good, a good 325 pounds of just rock. Mean, just a mean old cuss. He's got a tattoo right here. This is SS on it. Turns out he was a, one of the key leaders of Aryan nations in the prison system there over many many prisons several prisons solitary confinement he could send out a word and somebody would be killed and Roy for some reason showed up and Pastor Todd Holy Spirit said to Pastor Todd I want you to baptize Roy and Pastor Todd Smith he jokes and he says well Holy Spirit you know there's a reason these guys are in prison (laughs) Roy comes over and um, ends up getting in the water God's touching him before he even gets in the water. God's just touching him. He's like, what's going on? doesn't know what's happening to himself. Gets in the water, lifts up his hands. He just begins, to, just begins to weep. Pastor Todd Smith is like, what, what's going on? Why, why, are you, why, why are you crying? You're like a big guy, skinhead, you know, racist, hates, hates, hates. Black people, always had. Just standing there. It hasn't even gone under the water yet. hasn't even gone under the water yet. And just God's touching him. He says, I feel like I've been waiting for this moment my entire life. So he goes into the water, comes back out of the water. He's holding his hands, just sobbing, and begins to say, under his breath, just saying the same word again and again, precious, precious, precious. You know, and Todd asked him, so what, why, why do you keep saying that? What did you see? He said, when I was there under the water, I saw the face of Jesus. It was precious. Comes up out of the water, story goes on, He goes back and he begins to evangelize in the prison. (laughs) Becomes sort of the defunct prison chaplain from behind bars, baptizing other prisoners there. Becomes best friends with another prisoner, black skin, loving on one another. That's the power, that's the power of the gospel. That's the power of the kingdom. things happen when God's on the move and I'm, I'm processing all of this you know I'm processing God why this why why this weird thing and, you know Todd talks about this he and I talked about it. why 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 this why water you know, it's like so contrary to, you know, to our evangelical sensibilities, where you know you only baptize for for new believers, and then you know it's just sort of this sterile thing, and you all you know got to do some confirmation classes if you're from a Catholic or or more of a high church tradition, and you know Todd says I think it's because. We've hijacked every other place in the church that God's been moving. We've hijacked the pulpit. We've taken it over. We've used the pulpit now for our own agendas and our own politics and our own issues. You know, we've hijacked the worship. We've turned it into production and media and entertainment and haze and fog and lights. As in, in, Todd's wondering, as as if maybe the only thing left is the water. You know, so I'm here and I'm watching this stuff and I'm like, man, this is, This is something else, you know. I just begin to see God move. I begin to see you know, him move. Baptize a, a little girl, a little 10-year-old girl named Adeline, sweet little girl. She comes in, she's like, I just, I want to know Jesus more. All right. In the water she goes, up she comes. Baptize another young lady in her twenties. Beautiful, beautiful young girl. She's like, I just have some hurts in my heart that'll need the Lord to heal. Okay, let's go. In the water, come back up. Baptized a, a lady that's had multiple sclerosis MS for 42 years. Holy moly, what do I do with that? I don't do anything with that. There's nothing I can do about it. Just love her and take her to Jesus and put her in the water and pull her out. Speak the words of Jesus to her. Some are healed instantaneously. Some are not. But everybody, everybody encounters the love and the power of God in the water. Everybody does. And I feel like there's a couple of things that the Lord is saying to me and to our church in this season. Um, one of them is the Lord is saying he has more of that for us. and he wants to stir up our faith to receive more of that. So that's that's one place where my heart is is putting my finger on the pulse of the faith of our church family. It was I was I was I was encouraged on Wednesday uh, some of us have been walking through kingdom boot camp for the last 3 weeks. On Wednesday night, sort of its unpacking supernatural ministry what it, what it means and on Wednesday, we looked at the spiritual gifts outlined in the New Testament from three different passages of scripture, Corinthians and Romans and Ephesians. And we did some 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 inventories to maybe be, sort of begin to identify what our giftings might be. You know, we took some time, 100 and what 140 questions or something like that. Um you know, just kind of get a glimpse of what we're gifted at. And there was, I don't know, eight or nine of us in there, you know, and at the end of that, everybody tallies up their list. And, you know, there's, if if you've ever done an inventory, you know, there's a good 20, good 20 to 25 spiritual gifts, you know, from prophecy to administration, from leadership to shepherding, from mercy and helps and service to supernatural healing and everything in between. There's a lot of gifts. But I began to notice, I would begin to ask, Chuck, what are your top gifts? he would rattle them off, I'd write them down. You know, I asked somebody else, what are your gifts? he would write them down. Marcy, what are your gifts? he would write them down. I began to notice there's this theme throughout every single one of those. Every single person in that room had a gift in common. You know what that gift was? A gift of faith. You didn't know that faith was a spiritual gift. Some of you did. It's one of those weird gifts that every believer is called to have, but some have a supernatural grace to go above and beyond. It's like healing. Every believer is called to practice healing, but some have a supernatural grace to go above and beyond. Every believer is called to show mercy, but some have a supernatural grace to go above and beyond. I began to notice every single one in here has a self-identified supernatural gift of faith. I was like, what in the world is that? And I just began to get excited, began to feel like the Lord is saying, this is, this is the season that I'm doing. I would rather have three mighty men and women of God with their gift of faith than a dozen who struggle and question and doubt. I don't want to minimize any of the gifts, but give me the gift of faith any day. Because faith is the, is, is the ground from which miracles are born. Let me read a couple a couple places to, a, a couple things to you here. Um, I think it's in line with what the Spirit's been saying. Hebrews 11 unpacks faith, gives us a, a faith hall of fame, so to speak begins this way. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for. You ever talk to someone that has faith? They are just absolutely convinced of something. It's the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. Confidence and assurance. It's like you cannot convince those people otherwise. They have gotten a glimpse of something in the unseen realm, and they are just gripped by it. They're seeing people healed in their own hearts and minds and in the kingdom. They're seeing revival break out. They're seeing marriages. These these ones who walk in faith, they, they look at a situation and they don't look at a situation. They look beyond the situation to say, I see that being different. I know it can be different. This is what the ancients were commended for. And he begins to unpack all of these ones, Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and all these unnamed people. He calls out all these ones by a name. And then he gets to 12 and he turns the tables and he says, okay, that's them. But what about you and I, church? They live lives of faith. They were pursuing a promise that they couldn't claim yet. They had a vision of a new reality that the Lord had not given to them yet. But what about you and I? This is the writer of this. What about you and I? He says, therefore, since we're surrounded, since we're surrounded by the throngs of these witnesses who have seen God move, we're, it's, like, it's like we're entering into the Colosseum of ancient Rome to compete in the games. And filling the stands are tens of thousands of other faithful ones who have already finished this race, who have already said, we crossed the finish line. We can tell you this is possible. And we've got to start our own race, and we've got to contend for our own revival and our own open heaven and our own breakthrough. And we've got to get on get on the race when we begin to run. He says this, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles you know and imagine if you can like these these ones you know those of us that we kind of come into we kind of come into the coliseum you know we 're excited i mean we, we've got we 've got our new track suit on you know you know we got our we've got our Nikes on paid three hundred bucks for these nice white shoes you know i just i 've got my got my sweat jacket or whatever it 's called my, my track jacket on i 've got this stuff i 've got a Camelback water, things strapped to my back, a little straw going down. I got my beats, headphones on with my playlist. Dude, I'm ready to go. Come on, Jesus. I'm ready to run this race. we get out there, we begin to go, and I go, like, oh, I'm getting tired. This is hard stuff. All right, I want to change songs. I need to get a better song. Tamp it up. Find another song. Let's keep going. Okay. All right, let's do this. I'm, getting, I'm going around the bend. Okay, Jesus, I, I'm in the race for you. But no, I'm getting t- I got to take off. I got to take off my jacket, throw it down. And it's like, it's like the ones in the crowd are saying, no, take it all off. You don't need all of that stuff. We're thinking, yo, I, I paid 300 bucks for these shoes. And they're like, you don't need all of that stuff. What about this? No, we don't need. And I began to find what the Lord is saying to me is that there's, there's three things that stand in the way of breakthrough in my life. There's three things that are hindering faith and breakthrough in his church. I'll tell you what those are. So I want us to be aware of those in the season to come. And the cloud of witnesses is saying, strip it off. Not to get a little PG-13, but in the ancient Rome, the athletes ran basically naked basically naked one cloth strapped around them to keep their nether regions all covered up but apart from that it was nothing why? because we got one agenda and that's to get to the finish line it's not to impress the crowd it's not to show off it's to get to the finish line anything that gets in the way we take it off anything that gets in the way we take it off anything that gets in the way we strip it off we say, no, it doesn't matter what people think. I'll tell you what those three things are momentarily, but first I want to take you to somewhere, to Second um, Kings chapter 5. This idea of, of immersion f- for healing, it's not a new thing. It's not new to Todd Smith or Christ Fellowship Church, North Georgia Revival. It's not new to King's Church. God's people have been doing this for thousands of years the ancient Jews called them mitzvahs or purification baths they're pools, archaeologists have uncovered pools where as part of the purification rites Jews would go in submerse themselves underwater in these mitzvahs and come back out and then they were viewed as clean after they had purified themselves these were nice sterile places water would flow in, water would flow out St. Kings 5 tells a story of, of, um, of someone who's not a Jew. He's a Gentile. He is outside of the people of God. His name is Naaman or Naaman if we get all nerdy with our pronunciations. That's why there's two A's in there. Do you know that, Chuck? Baal. <laughs> Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram or Syria. This is on the northern part, northern part of Egypt. So I go up to where Galilee is and go a little bit farther north and to the east. Naaman is the commander. He's a general in this army of Syria. He's not even a Jew, not even part of God's people. He's not of the 12 tribes, not part of the covenants. He's on the outside. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier but had leprosy. A good man, be out a condition. Bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. <laughs> Let's stop right there. Who's got a whole lot of faith? <laughs> oh my goodness! One day, our one day we're gonna see our kids doing that. We're gonna see our kids bringing in the most hopeless situations, and say, "Hey, guess what? God's gonna heal you. Come on in." And our old hearts are gonna panic. <laughs> She had faith. If only you would see him, this prophet who lives in, who's in Samaria, he would cure him his leprosy. So Naaman goes to his master, goes to the king, tells him what this little girl said. He's like, okay, listen, your majesty, listen, I can tell you, I'm not one to listen to rumors, but this little girl is so convincing, she won't shut up about it. She keeps talking about this prophet in her hometown who seems to have miraculous powers. What do you think? Would you let me go and just, just to scratch it off the list? I've tried everything. Just scratch it off the list. King says, of course, go. He's like, here, here's some, you're going to need some gifts, by the way. You have to impress this guy. Here's some silver. Here's some gold. Here's some new duds. By the way, I'm going to write a letter in my own hand. It's going to have the king's seal. And this guy's going to give you what you need to go. So he goes and takes it on with him. It goes to the, the mess, so it goes to the king of Israel. King of Israel, it's like, oh, what do I do about this? So little girl has faith. King of Israel has no faith whatsoever. Look at what he says. King of Israel, by the way, God's people, God's anointed one, God's chosen one. Am I God? Can I kill and bring back life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? I don't want him. I can't do anything about it. He feels like this is some political ploy just to mess with his mind. Verse 8, when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why, why, Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. He shows up with his entourage, surrounded by his men, (laughs) surrounded by his servants, pulling carts full, 75 pounds of silver gold stacks of clothes this is an impressive arrival and it's like you you guys ever seen Downton Abbey you know what Downton Abbey is the sort of the British show you know I said 100 years ago when whenever guests arrive at Downton Abbey you know, the, cherry, the, the the horseman would pull up and the chariot arrive and it would be, you know, count, count such and such person, you know, Nigel did, whatever, and, 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 and he would get out and then out of the door of the, the house would come all of the servants and the butler and all of the family to greet the honored guest who would be arriving. The welcome party would be there to meet him. Jenamon so shows up. <laughs> but there's there's no welcome party. There's no man of God at the door. But Elisha sends a messenger to him. Elisha apparently didn't get the memo on how to treat esteemed guests to his house. Elisha is like back in his den with his feet kicked up, drinking on a Dr. Pepper, just relaxing. He's like, oh, somebody's at the door. Master Elisha, what should we do? Someone's at the door. Tell him to go away. Uh, Master Elisha, this is probably somebody pretty important. He's got like a bunch of chariots. Tell him to go away anyway. No, you don't understand. I I think this is that guy from, from Aram, from Syria. So Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. How flippant is this? I could just see him like lay him back with his feet up saying, um, okay, fine. Tell him to go wash. One. No, no, no. Have him wash seven times in the river. It's almost like he's making this up. I No, he's not. He's not. He's a prophet of God, right? He's moving by the spirit of, but it's almost like he's making this up. Like, are you intentionally putting obstacles in the way, Elisha, of healing? Why? And it's offensive and it offends Naaman. Look what Naaman says. But Naaman went away angry. He went away. He left. The messenger comes out and says, the prophet says you need to go and wash. Seven times? in the Jordan River. Turns and runs back inside and Naaman is ticked off. The chariots take off in a cloud of dust. I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord as God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. See these expectations that we have of how God has to move and minister. God can't move that way, this is what it looks like. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better all than these stinky, filthy cesspools that you guys call rivers? It's nasty in the Jordan. Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. came all this way, all this way. I drove all this way to be healed. And I come in this building and all you've got are just stinking horse troughs full of dirty water. It's probably not even hot. And I want to be baptized by the man of God right here, not by this nobody over here. A name and servants went to him and said my father listen if the prophet had told you to do some great thing would you have done it how much more than when he tells you wash and be cleansed this is a decision time for Naaman. This goes against everything that he stands for. And he's got to make that decision. Do I want to be respectable or do I want to be made right? Will I be proud or will I be made whole? Well, I humiliate myself for the very small chance that this guy just might be right. There's a battle that happens between 13 and 14. There's about a millimeter of space in my Bible, but there's a battle that happens in that millimeter between verse 13 and verse 14. I believe that's a battlefield for us too. Go to this Jordan River, fine. I've come all this way. What do I have to lose? Goes down, gets in the water, takes off his robes, takes off his medallions, his sword, his belt, whatever other things that generals wear. In 7th century BC Syria, Puts his foot in the waters of the Jordan. Not much to this river. Not much to these troughs. May not have even come up to his knees. And he goes down under the water. And one seventh of him dies. Up again, boy. This is stupid. What am I doing? Goes down again. Number two, another seventh dies. He comes up. Man, my servants are laughing at me. Feel like I feel like I'm, I feel like, a, like a monkey on a chain doing tricks, and they're laughing at me. Goes down again. Comes up again. Another seventh of him dies. Oh, the water feels good on my skin though. Kind of smells clean out here. Goes down again, number four. This time he stays a little bit longer under the water. Coolness washing over his sores. Comes back up. This time he stopped looking around. He's not watching the servants anymore. Goes down for number five, comes back up. Goes down for number six, comes back up. Thinks to himself, one more time. I can't be any more humiliated than I am right now. under for the seventh time the Bible doesn't say what the state of his mind and his heart and his faith are because in this moment that doesn't matter what was required of him was not to eliminate any seed of doubt God didn't ask that of him but simply to step out in obedience. And he comes up out of the water that seventh time. Water running down his head and his beard and his face. Reaches up, wipes his eyes off. Takes a breath in. Opens his eyes standing there, a naked man in the middle of the river, absolutely naked, absolutely humiliated. And he begins to see the look on his servant's faces. They're staring at him. They're looking at him. They're confused and astonished, surprised. Surprised. They cover their faces, they cover their mouths. One of them begins to point, he looks down at his skin, begins to see something, he rubs his eyes to make sure that he's seeing the right thing. He looks down at his hand and for a moment, for a split second, he he's afraid that it's not even his own hand, as if someone is behind him, sticking their own hand out in front of him because he sees it and it's not his own hand. It's not the one he's woken up with every day. It's not the scaly, crusty, dry, bleeding, ulcerous skin that he's ever known. It's not that. It's pink, olive flesh. It's clean and healthy he because to move his fingers. Looks down at his chest and his arms and his back servants are now running towards him, laughing and weeping all at the same time. Naaman, I would imagine, is just astonished and can't get a word out. He points to his back as if to say, tell me about my back, what's that like? And they look and they're like, it's clean, there's nothing there. And I can imagine that he gets down and he finds a still part of the water, the only place where he can see a reflection, and he stares at his own face. Pride has to die. I think that's the first thing that God is saying will get in the way of what he wants to do. Pride. That's one. Apathy, that's another one. And the fear of man. Three enemies of our faith in this season pride, apathy, and the fear of man. What will people think? What will people think if I climb in that nasty water? What will my kids think? Apathy says, I'm not even going to bother. Not even going to bother. Doesn't matter. That's not for me. I've asked God. I've asked God before for this. He clearly doesn't want to help me. Maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. I'm too busy for it. Let me take you to one more place here. 18. I may not have this up there, you guys on projection. I want to watch our time. I just, I want to quickly just give this to you as well. Luke 18. There's so many stories of the gospels of, of faith. There's eight accounts of, 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 of individuals who show remarkable faith in the spite of obstacles. Each of them having to battle their own things that stand in the way of breakthrough in their life. Social convention, fear of man, apathy, pride, all those things that I mentioned. Luke 18 says this As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. We know from other gospel accounts that his name was Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. He had a name. Many of these others in the gospels don't, don't have names. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. doesn't know, can't see. He's got to rely on others. Tell me, guys, what's going on? I hear this noise. What's happening? What's happening out there? They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Jesus of Nazareth is going to pass by you just for a brief moment. This guy's going everything against him. He has limited senses. He is poor. He has no one to really help him be his advocate. He's in the right place, but that place is only the right place for a split second. It doesn't say Jesus is coming to set up tent right next to him. It doesn't say that revival's coming right where he is. Jesus is coming, but he's gonna pass by. Get a vision of that, such a small window for this guy. They told him, Jesus said, now, so this, he's listening, you know, he's listening, he's, he can't see, but I'm betting that his ears are, are, are just supernaturally tuned in to what, to, to what to what's happening. He can hear, he can hear the crowds coming, he's biting, he's waiting, he's waiting for the right time. He's what he can hear. He, he probably, he can hear Jesus maybe teaching as he's walking, talking, he's walking, and he, and he gets closer to and, and, and he thinks to himself, okay, Bartman, don't say anything yet. Don't say anything yet. Don't make a scene yet. Okay, wait, 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 now. Begins to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. No response. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. That's contending, man. Chad, that's contending. Jesus son of David have mercy on me and the ones in the front the religious gatekeepers you know what they say shut up shh this is not part of our order of service you're not on the itinerary we've got somewhere we got to go the master needs to be over here stop making a scene Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but guess what he does? He shouts out all the more, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Holy moly, that's desperation. Because then he can hear that the crowd is moving past him farther and farther away. His moment is passing him by, and he, in this moment, has to make that same decision. He's got that one-millimeter battle he's got to fight too. Do I give in to the fear of men, or do I contend for what I desperately need? And he yells out one more time with everything that he has the top of his lungs. One final cry. And Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. Here's the funny thing. The other gospels say this story. John doesn't, but the other gospels, or Luke doesn't, but the other ones say that the crowds when Jesus stopped the crowd said, hey, the master's calling you, go on. Bunch of fickle, double-minded people. First you're telling me to shut up, now you're telling me to press in, which is it? <laughs> Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought for him. As if to say, hey, you loud gatekeepers, the ones who are trying to keep the kingdom from him, you go. Pick him up and bring him to me. (laughs) When he came to him, Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? What do you want? Without a hesitation, Lord, I want to see. Lord, I want to see. Jesus said to receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Man, man. Such a contrast. Naaman was able to, but wouldn't. This man was willing to, but couldn't. And the irony in the kingdom is that the Lord loved them both and healed them both. But that millimeter battle meant a lot, a lot dependent on that. Do we give in to pride, to apathy and to the fear of man? Or do we die to ourselves? Be filled until we were totally empty. All right. I want to. Still, I want to pray for you. I want to. I want to release. Just. A, um, I believe the door just wants to. The Lord wants to open up doors of what we've seen in the last number of days here. I think He wants to increase that. I believe He wants to increase that. I know many of you feel that same way. He wants to increase faith. He wants to increase healings, but not just healings for his own sake, for for their own sake. He wants to destroy pride and apathy and the fear of man so that he can own human hearts, so he can possess human hearts again. That's the biggest thing that has to happen is not the Lord has to heal everybody. He didn't, he doesn't. He didn't heal everybody here on Thursday and Friday. Some of you have things that you've asked the Lord to heal and he has not done that. Because that's not what he desires most for you. He wants it, but he doesn't desire it most for you. What he wants is to be the lover of your soul and to have your heart. Can we stand together and let me pray for us? Jesus. 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 Son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on us. Father, we repent of pride. I repent of pride. Such an ugly monster. I'm sorry, Lord, for insisting that you do things my way. And for insisting I run my race with all of the unnecessary trappings. When you say, strip it off run naked Lord we repent of apathy casual carelessness God we repent of it doesn't matter kind of attitudes for ourselves for our families our loved ones Lord for the community around us. God, root that out of us. We repent, Lord. Of the fear of men, the lust for respectability, the the, the grasping after honor and prestige, and likes. <laughs> God, forgive us. Forgive us of social media Christianity. We repent of that, Lord. Whatever place of water you're calling us to, it's a place of death and resurrection. we're going to go under. Take us under however many times we need to go. One time, two times, three times, seven times, 77 times. God, hold us there. Hold us there until the bubbles stop. Hold us there, God, until we're dead to ourselves and alive to you again. Until we desire nothing but your goodness and your glory. I release that over this church, Lord. I release that over your people this morning. I invite you, God, to take us deeper Deeper, Lord, deeper, deeper down into the water. Bless your name, Lord Jesus.